Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. Open your Bibles to a peculiar portion of Scripture, 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles is not one of those uh, books of the Bible that you normally do devotions from. Uh, it's not like you go, you know what, I think I want to read through the chronology of the Scripture today. And because it's basically a bunch of names. It's uh, so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so just begats almost the whole thing through. But during the first, uh, in chapter 4, what happens is, it's almost like the chronicler stops and he goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what have we here? You need to know about this guy. He's a guy that we only hear about in the spot. Now, there's another city that that's, has the same name, but the two are most likely unrelated, and his name is Jabez. And I'll tell you, uh, a handful of years ago, more than a dozen, probably longer than that, there was a, uh, an author who wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez. And to be quite honest with you, I, don't, I didn't get onto that train because um, I felt like it had become a mantra or it had become this, uh, this magic prayer that everybody now was praying the prayer of Jabez. And so, you know, let's, let's pray it and let's just expect it. Now, that's not the case with everybody. I'm just saying that was my own, uh, that's kind of the way I felt about it because it was so popular that I think sometimes people miss that there is no magic prayer. What's really important is the heart of the person. So you can say all the words you want, but if your heart is not the one that is not the place that it's coming from, then they're really just words. It's like telling your wife, I love you. I mean, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really mean the same. Um, but what happened was he wrote this book called The Prayer of Jabez, and he pulled out some of the principles, and he really kind of brought it to our attention that this is actually in the Bible. Well, this last couple of months, I've been looking at who we are as a church. I've been processing what God is doing. And God brought this passage to mind, and I'm very convinced that today is the day that we need to understand and begin to truly pray the prayer with the attitude of God, asking God to grant this request for us. And so in chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says, it, it comes to a halt, and it says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Wow! God granted his request. He actually had four requests that are wrapped up as a single request. The bottom line is he was praying, God, use me. I want you to use me. Which was a request that would have been strange for him because he was essentially understanding that who he was born to be uh, or, or the circumstances of his birth were not um, conducive to him being used in the way he was asking to be used. So the Bible says in verse 9, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now that word honorable in the Hebrew means weighty or heavy. And it also means honor. 
And so we really don't fully know what that word means, except we can look at the definition and then we can look at the rest of the text and say, probably what it's saying was, he was a big baby. And we know that because the very next part says that his mother named him Jabez because it was painful. She caused him pain at birth. So he gets the name Big Baby Jabez, right? That'd be a cool gangster name. Yo, I'm Big Baby Jabez. What's up? Okay, maybe not. That'd be a rapster, rapper, not a gangster. You can, you can tell how cool I am. Obviously, y'all knew that forever. But he gets this name Jabez, and here's what we need to see. The name followed him. So the whole sense of this passage is that he was given a name that, that, that projected, if you will, his life, projected his destiny. And when he cries out to God, he's essentially saying, don't let me live up to my name. I want to be someone different than what I'm named to be. Now, the name of a man or a woman was important in biblical days. It still should be important today. I've told you this a hundred times, but we named Sarah Elizabeth for her name because we felt it would describe, it's who we wanted her to grow up to be. We named Hannah Grace because of her name. We wanted her to grow up to be that way. We named Joshua Caleb, his name. Okay, his name's not Joshua Caleb because his mother wanted Joshua Dale, but I'm just saying he's really Joshua Caleb. Um, I mean, just, just because my father's middle name was Dale and her father's name is Dale and my middle name is Dale, do we have to have another Dale in the family? I'm just saying. But, but the meaning behind it was Joshua Caleb was the two spies that believed God. We wanted, and, and so each of our kids, we named them with a particular name because we were, we were speaking uh, into their lives from the very moment they were born. Could you imagine being named born from pain? Could you imagine being named, I gave my mom trouble at birth? I mean, you're walking around. It would be as bad as being named Sue as a boy. Now, do y'all know Johnny Cash? Yeah? Do y'all remember the song, the, the, the Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue? Okay, if you don't know it, go back and listen to it. There are a few words in there that it was probably pre-Johnny Cash conversion days. But here's the whole point of his song. His song was this. There was a father who left, a, left a, 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 a woman and her, her new son, but before he left, he named the boy Sue. And this boy always had to fight. He always had to struggle because he was a boy named Sue. And then one day, several years down the road, the two of them met in a bar. He realized that this was his dad because he was hearing his dad tell the story of a boy named Sue, and the two of them started fighting. And I believe he even pulled out a knife and cut off his son's ear or something like that. It's a, it's a really interesting story. But the father then said, I named you Sue because I knew I wouldn't be around, and I knew that you needed to be tough. So I gave you the name so that you could live up to the name, and it would change you. That's exactly what... Uh, uh, Jabez was saying, he was saying, I've been given a name that I don't want to be a person who causes pain and I don't want to live a life of pain. I don't want to live a life that my name describes. I want something different and I want something greater and I want something more. And so the Bible says in the very next part of the verse, so he cried out to the Lord. There was an emotion and there was a passion and there was a soul wrenching um, conversation with God. He cried out to God. Oh, God, that you would bless me. 
And what we need to understand is that he wasn't just saying these words. He was essentially making a covenant. And what we see with this is he was saying, Lord, if you will bless me, if you will bless me, I will be faithful to you. If you will enlarge my territory, I will be faithful to you. And if you will put your hand upon me, you will, you will keep me walking down the narrow path. And if you will keep me from harm, if you will keep me from evil, if you will protect me, then you will be able to make your name great through my name, which is no name at all. He was truly looking outside of his, of his own reality of life. And I want to say to you this morning that every one of us should be thinking this way. Now look, I'm not Tony Robbins, and I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not the prosperity gospel preacher by any stretch. You should know that by now. But I am saying is, God has more in store for us as his people than we oftentimes will think about or dream about or run towards. We think so small sometimes, and we do it perhaps with good intentions, but we do it sometimes to the dishonor and the disglory, that's not even a word, of God. And I understand that. Because all of my life, I've been wrestling personally between my own ego and just letting God do what he wants to do. My entire life, I've always thought of, of impacting the entire world for the gospel. That's always been my dream. I've always wanted thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of people to come to faith in Jesus through me being faithful to the gospel. But the flip side of that is my question in my soul has been how much of that is about my name and how much of that is about the name of Jesus? And see, when you wrestle with that, what you find is you, you, you can go one or two ways. You can either ignore your own, the own caution in your heart, and you can make your name greater than God's, or you can go the other direction and find the other ditch, and you can do less than what God has intended and planned for you to do in some sort of keeping yourself in a small little cocoon. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying to you is this. It honors God when you are fully used exactly how God wants to use you. It honors God when you think about all that God can do through you and you say to him, yes, but if you choose not to, I'm okay with that as well. See, all of this boils down to what is the condition of your heart and whose name do you want to make famous? That's where it boils down to. And see, I'm aware of my own, the, the, own deceptiveness, the, the, the own deceptiveness of my own heart, and, I, and I, under, I love the stage. I mean, it's funny. People are like, man, how do you talk in front of all those people? I'm like, are you kidding me? How do you not? Man, this is the best place on the planet to be. And so the struggle is... How do you stand on a stage in front of hundreds or thousands and remain behind the gospel of Jesus? That's the real struggle. Because I've seen too many good people stand on a stage that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and they become the centerpiece and it's not too long before they fall and dishonor the name of Jesus. Amen? You've seen it and I've seen it. But it's really not just about a stage. It's, it, it's, it's much more than that. It's about what God has purposed in his heart to place in your heart and the desires that he's put inside of you that are bigger than just staying inside of a cocoon. What in the world does that sound? <laughs> Did y'all hear that? 
<laughs> so my question is this. Has God given you a dream or a vision of the kingdom of God that is bigger than what you think is possible? If he has, what's keeping you from pursuing that with all of your heart? When he prayed, Jabez prayed and asked for four things. I submit to you, we should ask the Lord for these four things. First, he prayed, Lord, bless me. What is that? That is God's blessing upon a person, which means he is opening doors and he's giving favor. That means that God is doing things that we couldn't do for ourselves, and it means that God is entrusting us with his resources in every way that we need them. Resources are people. Resources are opportunity. Resources would be platform. Resources would be finances. All of those things. It is not wrong to pray for the Lord to bless you as long as you are praying that the Lord would bless you so that you could be a blessing. We call that top line, bottom line theology. You remember that? <laughs> That's a long time. Top line, bottom line. The top line is the Lord always blesses his people. If you know Jesus, you are his people. But he always adds a bottom line when, he has a, when there's a top line. The top line is the Lord will bless you. The bottom line is so that you will be a blessing. He never blesses you just so you can keep the blessing to yourself. Never, ever, ever. Why? Because you are not the end of the blessing. You are a conduit through the, of the blessing. And so as God blesses you, your obvious question should always be, why has God blessed me in this way? In what ways am I to be a blessing? You know the greatest part about that is? When you approach God this way, when you approach him with open hands, you can receive all that God has and you can give all that God gives you knowing that he is a bottomless pit of blessing. His blessings are not limited by time and space. He is not in need of anyone and he never borrows from anywhere. He is the storehouse and he is the owner. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all of you are going to have a million dollars in a bank and you're all going to have mansions and drive pretty nice fancy cars and have a couple of airplanes. That you're, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the heartbeat is, Lord, I will receive whatever blessing you give me and I will be satisfied and content with what you choose to give me. But I will be satisfied and content because I know that what you choose to give me, I am to use for your glory. And he who has given much, much is required. And he who has been given a talent of five is to boast to, a, to use them and, and, and make them ten. And to give a talent of two is to make them four. And to give a talent of ten is, you see what I'm saying? That is the biblical principle of what it means for God to bless us and for us to be a blessing. And so Jabez said, Lord, bless me. He, uh, he understood what God said to Abraham. He was Jewish. He was an Israelite. He was an Israelite. Uh, 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 what is the word? Israelite. Sorry, my man went blank there. He was an Israelite. So he understood the Abrahamic blessing. He knew that in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And through the world, you will be a blessing. So in other words, God said, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. He would have known that. 
And I believe, I believe, I'm not sure that the Bible says it, but I believe that was the, the backbone behind what he was praying. Lord, let me be like Abraham. I don't need a number of descendants that are greater than the sands on the seashore, but if you'll just do a portion of that in my life, I promise you I will be faithful. So Lord, bless me. Then the second thing is expand my territory, enlarge my territory. This is commonly understood to be influence. Give me greater influence. Why? Because isn't the job of a believer to make the glory of God known to the ends of the earth? Isn't that our responsibility? Didn't Jesus say, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations? He was saying that to you and to me. He wasn't saying that to an organization. He was saying, you individually go to the ends of the earth. And so with territory means you have influence. You have a broader spread of of opportunity to share the gospel. I want everybody to know the hope that I have found in Jesus Christ. I want the highways and the byways. I want the druggies and I want the rich and I want everybody in between. I want the black and the white and the the yellow and I want those who are living in poverty and I want those who are living in mansions. I want everybody to hear the hope of the gospel. And if there's an opportunity, I want to do it. Don't you? I mean, why would we not? We've got the greatest story ever told the gospel the good news and in that gospel there's power for salvation that's what Romans tells us right and so he prayed Lord bless me and enlarge my territory we should be praying this this has been the desire of my heart because I finally understood that an enlarged territory doesn't mean that it's about you an enlarged territory in the most perfect circumstances really does mean that it's about the glory of God. He's just given you more opportunity to be faithful. The third thing he prays for is let your hand be upon me. And this is as important as anything he prays. Lord, let your hand be upon me. Continue to let me find favor with you. Bible says in Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and man. In other words, God had, had, had given Jesus favor both from himself and also from the people that he was around. That should be our goal. We should seek to have influence in places where there needs to be a gospel influence. We should seek to go into places and change the temperature of a room. Not because we're good, but because the gospel inside of us is good. We should be agents of grace. And I love the way Mary says it. We should be hope dealers. Where everywhere we go, people in need of hope would come to us and not have to buy it, but be freely given in lavish ways. Lord, bless me. Lord, enlarge my influence, enlarge my territory. Lord, would you place your hand and keep your hand upon me, and would you keep me from evil? In other words, we understand that Jesus said, the world will hate you if you're my disciples. Or the world will hate you because you're my disciples. In this world you'll have many troubles. We need to recognize that only the hand of God can keep us and protect us. Because the moment our territory expands, the enemy turns his head to us and he starts to attack us on every single possible way. Just like politics. You take a good man or a woman and you put them in the political sphere and suddenly all the crosshairs go upon them. 
And every single thing they've ever done now comes to the light because it's the way that it works. It's the same way that it works in the spiritual realm. When you have a territory that is enlarged and when God is blessing you and when God's hand is upon you, the enemy says, I hate you and I will try to take you down with every possible step you take. Amen? But you know, we're not afraid of that. And the reason, because the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be able to complete it. And I believe that the good work that he's doing in us, he started long before we ever came to this church, long before this church ever even started. But he'll be completing it and finishing it as we are faithful day in and day out. Some of it through here and some of it maybe through some other way. But let's just, let's just halt for a moment. Just like the chronicler stopped and he, and he said the name Jabez, this is his prayer. Do you even want more blessing from God? Do you even want more influence? Do you even want God's hand to be upon you? Do you want for God to keep you from evil, to protect you from harm? So that the name you were given at birth or the circumstance of who you are or where you came from does not define where you wind up. See, that's the truth of the matter. Jabez was saying, do something in my life that nobody would expect, that nobody would see possible. Do something in my life that only you, O oh God, can do. And do it for your glory, not my own. Do you want that? See, we need to start thinking differently about why we're here. We need to start seeing ourselves differently in the mirror. Again, I'm not talking about your self-worth that comes through how good looking you are or what. I'm talking about your value and your worth being completely encapsulated in the glory of Jesus Christ. That's where you find your value. Everything that I am and everything that I have is solely from the hand of God everything. He made me, he formed me before I was ever even a thought in my mother's mind. And he knew the plans that he had for me and he knows the plans that he has for you. And because of his own plans, you should neither diminish them or exacerbate them. You should say to God, God, I am yours and I will go and walk and do whatever it is you have for me. I will neither limit you and I will not make myself bigger than you intend. I will simply be faithful to you today and tomorrow and the next day. But you know, in the last couple of weeks, couple of months, I've actually had some pretty cool conversations with some people who are pretty influential. And I've been amazed because I keep asking them their stories. Did you, did you think you'd be in this position? And none of them ever thought so. All of them have a checker, I say checkered, not really checkered necessarily, but all of them have a past of, of obscurity and you know, none of them grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth, but they, as I listen to their story, what I found to be true in every single one of them is faithfulness in the little things God chose to bless and move them to something bigger and something bigger and something bigger to where now they have great influence. All of my life I have rejected the thought of being in any type of political leadership in, in, in church life. In all of my life, because I, I hate politics in terms, I hate church politics especially. I hate denominational politics. 
But Larry Reeser has convinced me. He said, Jeff, you know what? You can't change the game if you're not even in it. And that, that's, a real, that's a real truth. You can't change something you're not involved in. The challenge is how do you get involved in something that can be ugly and remain pure in heart? How do you get involved in something that takes a lot of people down bad roads but stay pure in heart? That's where the real challenge is. God has taken obscure people and moved them from the name Jabez to a totally different life and and their trajectory was totally different than what their name says. I submit to you that that is what God wants to do with you and that's what God wants to do with us. What if this little old church in the middle of nowhere I mean, really, we're, we're in a cul-de-sac. I mean, come on. What if this little old church could have worldwide influence for the kingdom of God? Would you want that? What if we had a way that we could impact the corners of the globe that we could encourage believers all over the world, that we could actually give hope to the hopeless, that we could, we could be there in that moment where somebody is about to end their own life and God uses us to stop that and actually to fi- for them to find hope through the gospel. What if God could do that? Well, guess what? He can. Because we have something that they didn't ever have before. We have the internet. And we have digital means of proclaiming the gospel. I would say to you that I think God is doing something. I think we have enough stories in this room of God's grace We have enough talent in this room that right now our stories alone could impact hundreds of thousands and into the millions of people. You know that YouTube is the highest uh, uh, viewed website ever? YouTube and Google, they're one and two. Do you know why? Because people don't know what they don't know. And when people don't know something, they don't have a friend to ask. They go to YouTube. How do I change the oil in a 1998 Toyota Camry with no hood? That was for you, honey. <laughs> How do I make a pancake? How do I stay married with a spouse who is an alcoholic? How do I get out of this pit of depression that I'm in? How do I not eat my child because they're so terrible? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Of all the things that we need to know in life, okay, just question. If you have asked YouTube to show you how to do something or to answer a question for you in the last week, let me see your hand. Raise it up high. Pretty much most everybody in the room. What if, what if God wants to bless us and enlarge our territory and place his hand upon us so that we can start answering some of those life questions that people are asking. And he wanted to use our existing stories to do it. Would you be interested in that? I think that would be totally cool. I've already been receiving emails and texts from people that are no way related to the church who have said that they've seen what we've done on either the the Blab TV station or they've seen it online somewhere and at just the right moment, God put that in front of them and it made a difference in their life. 
I don't know if I told, did I tell you this story? I probably did, I won't tell you again. But just time after time after time, God is affirming to me that we have the world at our, uh, as, our, as a territory. And the, ma- not the magic bullet, but, the, but the, the critical link in this whole endeavor would be the power of the Holy Spirit to connect the message with the hearer. Say, well, how do we get it out there? Well, we we do the the work that we can do to get it out there, but God is the one who puts your ear in front of the speaker at the right time and at the right place when you're ready to receive what God has to say. And I'm saying that is what your story can do to the ends of the earth. I believe that's part of us praying this prayer. Can I share with you just one biblical story about how God has has taken a nobody and made them into an influential person over and over and over. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have the story of David. David was Israel's greatest king. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. That means his heart was pure and, 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 and loved God with all that he could love him with. But David was a nobody. He was the eighth son of of Jesse. So Jesse had seven others in line before David. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16 that the prophet Samuel went to Jesse's house and said to Jesse, let's have a celebration. Let's let's, uh, prepare an offering. So consecrate you and your family. So they all consecrated themselves. And then Jesse said, "One one of these boys, God has great things for And the first one walks by, big, strong, good looking, obviously the choice. Samuel himself actually says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And then God says to Jesse in verse seven, but the Lord, or excuse me, God said to Samuel, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, just because he had all the right skills and tools and the right look and all the right influences doesn't mean that he was God's anointed. And so one by one, Jesse brought his sons before the prophet Samuel. And one by one, God said, nope, not him. Nope, not him. Nope, not him. After the seventh one, Samuel says, "Um, okay, I'm a little confused here because all of your boys have been come through and now we don't have an anointed one. He says, do you have any other sons by any chance? Jesse says, yeah, we got, we got the youngest. He's out in the field tending the sheep. But I, I didn't really feel like, you know, he, he's just probably not king material. Well, bring him here. And the Bible says that when David came before him, God said, he's the one. So he anointed him king. Now, imagine being David. You're out in the field tending sheep. You come and you're like, what's all the partying for? And then he's told, you're now anointed as the next king of Israel. Okay. I'm imagining, if I'm David, I'm going, I'm not seeing how this is going to work out. I mean, I've got seven older brothers. I'm a shepherd. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the run of the litter, I guess you could call it that way. But okay, if that's what you say. The next part of the story is this. And we don't know the timeline, but we know that sometime later, it could have been a week, it could have been a month, it could have been a couple years. Sometime later, the Bible says that Samuel, excuse me, that King Saul was rejected by God. And so 
there were, he was tormented by evil spirits. And Saul said to his advisors, can you help me get through the night? I can't sleep. I'm plagued by these evil spirits. And one of them says, you know, I, I, I think that Jesse has a boy who plays the harp. I'll send for him. So David is sent for. He comes with his harp. Now how cool would, now it wasn't a giant harp, I'm sure, but could you imagine him walking with this big harp, dragging it through the sand? He comes up with the harp and he begins to play it and it soothes the king's soul. And so King Saul says, you know what? I really need you to stay. So can you be my permanent harpist? Oh, and after a while, he moves him from just the harpist to an armor bearer, which is a guy who carries the armor for the king. So he starts as a shepherd boy. Out of nowhere, he's anointed as a future king. And then the next thing is he's serving the king as a, as a musician. And then he becomes an armor bearer. And then in chapter 17, we have the next stage where uh, David just is actually on his way back to visit his brothers who were camped with the Israelite camp and the Philistines are on the other side. And as he's going, he hears this Philistine giant come out and mock God. And he's looking around, he's going, We're, why are you guys letting this, this giant mock our God? He's dishonoring the name of our God. Why aren't you slaying him? And everybody essentially says, we're afraid. Nobody will face him. Because the Bible tells us that he was about nine foot something tall. This giant of a man. That's what a Philistine was. He was a giant. And so David says, well, I'll fight him. I ain't scared. It's only a flesh wound, right? I mean, he, thank you, thank you. Some of y'all knew where I was going there. Some of y'all like, what? Don't even look it up. That one's not a good one. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. You want to continue laughing? Just, no, just I mean, I'm enjoying that. Yeah, that was, that was the best response ever. Um, what was I saying? Dang. Oh, yeah. So, so he's like, I will fight him. And, and the king gives him all of his armor, and it doesn't fit him. So he's like, you know what? Forget this. He takes all the armor off. He goes out to a stream. He gets five stones, and he has his sling. And here's his proclamation. The Lord is the one who will fight. He's, say, he, he, he's, he's understanding that the fight is not his, but the fight is God's honor. It's the name of the Lord because the Israelites were God's people. So he goes out and the giant actually mocks him and says, who am I that you would send a dog? Who am I that you would send this, this pitiful warrior? To, he's not even called a warrior. And David starts, starts swinging. Right here. And you know the rest of the story. So as you go through the story of David, what you find is he's a nobody who God keeps moving one step closer to being the king. And after the, after the battle with, uh, with uh, the Philistine, the people start saying these, the nobody became a somebody through that event. And the people start saying, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. David didn't put himself in that position. David didn't have to open doors. None of those things that he tried to open the doors, all of those were doors that God opened because of his faithfulness to where he was at the time that he was there. And I say that for you and for me, that's what God will do.
You don't have to try to make your name great. You simply have to be faithful to walk through the doors that God opens up and ask God for his blessing and ask God for him to expand your territory and be faithful and content wherever he puts you and however he has you there. Because I would submit to you that it's in those days of obscurity that you'd build the character that is necessary for you to carry the weight of the responsibility that God has to place on your shoulders. One of the most dangerous things in the world is for someone to rise too fast, too quickly. Because when they rise, the pressure of where they are will crush them if their character is not strong enough to hold them. What if as a church, all that we've done for the last 60 years is preparing us for the greatest days of ministry we've ever seen, the greatest days of influence that we've ever seen. What if God wants to do something so spectacular that our little old brains can't even fathom what he wants to do, except we can say, okay, Lord, if you want to send us, send us. What if there is an unengaged, unreached people group somewhere, somewhere in the middle of nowhere that nobody has taken the gospel to, and he's given it as our responsibility to be the first missionaries ever to that place to say, Jesus is Lord. What if God has given us a platform internationally and nationally of being a, a, a voice piece for the gospel and for people finding hope in hopeless situations. Every one of us has a story. And every one of our stories is important. Would you be willing to walk on that journey? You say, well, Jeff, that sounds awful cool, but I don't see it's possible. I mean, look around. It's not a lot like we got a thousand people. You don't need a thousand people. You need the right heart. And you need a faithful God. Well, we know God is faithful. The only question is, do we have the right heart? And if our answer is yes, then let's let God do what he wants to do. So if you continue through this story, and you can go through multiple other stories in Scripture about how God takes the nobodies and he makes them into somebodies, one of the things I want to warn us about is this. As God increases blessing, as he increases influence, as, he, as his hand is upon us, we have to be aware, as I mentioned earlier, that our target gets larger as well. It gets harder to remain faithful with the more responsibility we have. And the enemy will do everything he can to disqualify you and me from ministry. He'll try to embarrass us, he'll try to shame us, and he'll try to keep us quiet. We have to be aware that he will also try to divide He'll take little things, little pebbles in the shoes, and he'll put it in there until all of a sudden it's a big, giant issue because a church divided is not a church that can influence the kingdom of God, but a church united under one authority, the lordship of Jesus Christ, is a church that will never, ever stop because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against us. By the way, gates don't move. We push through the gates which by definition means we are moving into the enemy's camp to take back what God owns in the first place. The enemy has stolen far too much. He's wrapped his gates around and he said, no, this is mine. But I say to you, there is no place that the gospel will not bring freedom and hope for anyone who will believe. And there is no place that we have to fear. Why? Because we have not been given a spirit of timidity and fear, but of power 
and of love and of self-discipline. We have everything that we need because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us as the people of God. Amen? So I want to share with you for just, oh man, I'm out of time. Surely it hasn't been that long. Did y'all change that clock? Let me, let, me, let me just wrap it up then, okay? There are three things I, I said at the family meeting a couple of weeks ago that, we're, uh, that I'm going to spend my time doing this next year or so. Three major focuses for me. Number one, I'm going to work on influencing and re- on relationships and building community partnerships uh, for the church. So I'm out in the neighbors and the community as much as possible uh, trying to build bridges because we need good relationships and we need good bridges. We need a good reputation. We have one, but we need a, a good reputation to the best of our ability because that is, uh, that is part of, of just being, being an influential church. The second thing is I'm, I'm spending an enormous amount of time dreaming and thinking and planning on how we can influence digitally the rest of the world. I believe that one of the steps that we need to take is to build a studio. Now, we have all this stuff in here, which is great, and we're, we're using this, and God, I, I, wish I, could, I wish I had all the time to tell you how many things God is doing, but um, we really need a studio so that we can capture your stories. What if, just what if, what if we were to put on a special on Channel 3 that was the story of the gospel oh, through your story? And what if it was like one of those Here's Hope Billy Graham specials for 30 minutes? It would cost a fortune. But what if God would use that for people to hear the gospel for the, and understand it for the first time? Would it be worth it? And that'd be so cool. You'd be the heroes. Actually, God would be the heroes. Your stories, though, would be what he uses to do that. What if we could capture your story and send it out to the ends of the earth? We can, but we need a place to do it. So a studio is the next thing that I really think we ought to, we ought to invest in. How are we going to pay for it? I have no earthly idea. I really don't. I do know that God never puts a dream in your heart that he intends for you to do and doesn't provide a way to do it. So it'll happen. We just need to go towards that if that's what he's calling us to do. The third thing that I'm doing, and this might be how we pay for it, is I've been spending a lot of time the last several months, and I'm continuing to spend more time helping us as a church, Story Point and First Baptist, understand legacy giving. So we're actually in, uh, working on a plan to invite families to put the, the work of God here in their estates. Here's some facts. $43, bill, uh, $43 trillion will be passed, the transfer of wealth, between 1998 and 2052. $43 trillion trillion dollars. You don't even know how many zeros that is. All of that will be transferred. Okay? One out of 40 believers have anything God in their will. One out of 40. That means 39 people who are faithful to the Lord in life will die and have nothing that is given to the kingdom after their death. The church is not in there. Ministries are not in there. Why? It's predominantly because we haven't asked. We haven't thought enough about it and said, will you consider this? So I'm spending time now trying to help us have a plan for not just the old people, but for the young people as well. This is something Shannon and I are in the process of doing. 
We want to leave as much to our kids as possible. We want to leave as much to the kingdom of God as possible. And we want to leave as little to the government as possible. That's the goal. Because it's God's money, right? Now, here's the thing. You might, you might be like, wait a minute. You, uh, you're talking about money. You know what? I've decided that if money is such a big part of our life every single day, and it is, Every day, money's a big deal. We buy stuff, we trade for stuff, we work to earn stuff. Money's part of life. If I don't talk about it in a kingdom perspective, if I don't teach stewardship regularly, I am failing you and I'm actually sinning against you. I'm not faithfully preaching the whole counsel of the word of God. But you have my promise. I will never manipulate you to give because I hate manipulation more than anything else on the planet. I'm an eight. That's, that's our kryptonite. Do not manipulate me because I will pick up on it and I will reject it every single time. Because of that, I'm never going to manipulate you. Second thing, I'm never going to try to guilt you into anything. Because I hate guilt people who try to guilt you too. Because that's actually part of manipulation. But what I am going to do is I'm going to say to you, here are opportunities that you can choose if God leads you to do so. And then I'm going to step back and I'm going to say, Lord... Speak to them as you want to speak to them. What's really cool is through this process of helping people develop their trust and, and put the kingdom of God in it, I'm hoping that you'll start thinking beyond just the here and now. If you've been faithful in life, don't you want to be faithful in death? You know, I heard a statistic that the average person lives on about 9% of their, of their estate. That means 91% of their estate, they never see. It's all passed on after they're gone. Now, I haven't quantified that. It's just something I've been told, and I happen to believe it. But if that's the case, wouldn't I want to fund kingdom work so that the work of God doesn't have to struggle in future generations? What if, what if by funding, I could build an orphanage or I could help feed a child? I mean, so many possibilities. All that being said, I will never manipulate you. I will never cause you... I, will never, I will, ne will never guilt you into it, but I am going to give you the opportunity and I'm going to ask you to consider it knowing that it's between you, your family, and the Lord your God. And I hope, I hope that by doing this, we can raise over a million dollars for God's kingdom. That's impossible, right? Nope, it's not. It's really not. Your net worth is far more than you think it is. It really is. Shannon and I were blown away. We're like, we're, we're worth like 80 grand. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. You didn't find that funny? Seriously, God has blessed all of us. I want to be as faithful in my life and in my death as God would require of me. That's between us. What you do is between you. So that's where I'm spending my time for the next several months, next year. I hope you are excited about that. I hope you will catch the vision. But it's not my vision alone. This has got to be us as a church. It's got to be us that God says, this is where we go. Amen? Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.com.